0: Welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. Today I'm talking with Kirsten Ellis. She's a Senior Lecturer in the Faculty of Information Technology at Monash University in Melbourne. We well, discuss a range of issues as usual, including how she deals with changing goalposts and how a big part of that is connecting with what she's passionate about, about doing good research that makes a difference. And there's tensions around being good at getting grant funding, but having trouble getting published. She also discusses the impact that repeated rounds of redundancy can have on morale and culture and on the importance of being open and authentic at work in building social relationships and connections. And she talks about how she manages being a mother of three teenage girls, including one with a disability. Her non-negotiable time flying every week is an important part of how she manages this. And just for context... She also mentions a session around values with me. This was done as part of a career development workshop that I ran at Monash at the beginning of this year where I first met Kirsten. Kirsten, thank you for joining me today from Australia, from Melbourne. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, Do you want to just give a little bit of quick background just to orient people where you're coming from? Not, I don't mean sure. from Australia, of course.
1: It is a beautiful winter day in Australia. I went flying this morning. It was pretty awesome, actually. Wow. Um, yeah, fantastic day. Unseasonal. We're going to pay for it later because we're not getting enough rain. But that's another whole discussion. Um, so I worked. I I was interested in computer graphics. Um, and the only way to do that was to do a computing course because if you did graphics, you didn't actually get to do the computing graphics at the time that I always came through. I was one of those lucky people who was in the right place at the right time in terms of getting into academia. Um, there was a big boom in in multimedia and they needed a lot of staff and there weren't, weren't a lot of people around with a lot of skills. So I'd done a master's and I actually got employed as a permanent teaching research staff member prior to starting uh, – I started my PhD and three months later I, I was employed permanently, which, you know, is an amazing story now. Yeah. Having said that, I think that there's advantages and disadvantages. So the fact that I actually was employed teaching and research while doing a PhD is also um which means I never went through the research fellow. So I've never had the, you know, do your PhD and then have three years of just doing research and um, and it also made a difference in terms of mentoring because my my supervisor left. Um, both of my supervisors ended up leaving before I finished my PhD, so I so, sort of didn't stay underneath a mentor to guide you into those first few years as a mm. as a junior academic. Um, I was in a, a school that you know everyone was very junior, so it was kind of uh, a number of people who were doing their best and really passionate, but didn't necessarily know exactly what we were meant to be doing.
0: Yeah, so you're uh, all learning together in a way.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So that's how I got into academia. So slightly different, I, I think. And I've I've been at Monash for. I started on. Uh, I st- started working in a games company, moved to Monash on help desk, Got a master's scholarship, then came in as an academic doing a PhD. And I have been at Monash since '95. Right. And I'm still a senior lecturer, so in Australia that means that I've kind of made it to the second level. But I've only Mm -hmm. actually had my PhD for ten years in October.
0: Right, and is that because it took longer because you were working as well? Yeah, Yeah. yes. Yeah, there are always trade offs, aren't there? You know, so the the so I'm fascinated by often the sort of serendipity of and people being in the right place at the right time i just you know the last discussion with janet reed also had lovely stories about this sort of serendipitous you know being in the right place at the right time and and being opportunistic in uh, getting jobs and moving into an academic position and you have a similar sort of story but also just the trade offs around different funding sources and the implications of roles that you take on and how yeah how you perceived what training you have access to
1: so i think that um like honest students that I was taking was taking at that time didn't get nearly as um a well refined experience as yeah. what students now get. From you. Because we were all learning from me, we were yeah. all learning together. Yeah. But the expectations on them were a lot lower as well. So we were we were doing our PhDs and I was allowed to publish anywhere at the time. So I published where I needed to publish and where now there's a lot of pressure to publish in particular. Places and in some ways, you almost have to go as a junior academic or as a PhD student. You need to kind of test the waters. In in not you, you're not necessarily going to get into that ASAR conference first round. You know, first time round, some local ones can be really good, mm-hmm. but uh, there can be quite a lot of pressure now to make everything yeah. super high quality. Well, sometimes you need some practice at that. Yeah. Um. I'm. I but there's also the
0: mentoring. That.
1: Sorry. I, I laugh about doing a PhD because um stupid, persistence beyond stupidity is my kind of motto, like I should really give up on things and I just keep persisting and mm. it actually serves me well as an academic because I have um a lot of grant success. I have a lot of grant failure, but I you don't <laughs> people don't see those because they're kind of hidden in the background. Yes. So you keep persisting. You try, you didn't get it. You try again, you refine it a bit. You, do you know what I mean? So yeah. that persistence is actually a really important aspect.
0: But the, and the persistence in your own learning loop, because you didn't, if you didn't have senior mentors around to, say, help advise about what might be good publication venues or publication strategies or helping you, giving you feedback on draft research proposals, you, you, you learn in your own way. Do you think you could have learnt quicker with that feedback? or
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think the other thing for me is that the um, the goal goalposts changed. Um we went through in Australia we went through ERA in twenty twelve.
0: ERA is so yes, the
1: Um Excellence in Research Australia, maybe.
0: It's, it's, so it's a, it's an assessment exercise, isn't it's it? Where you have it's, to it's report quality, your publications. Yeah.
1: It's a quality assessment exercise. Yeah. And and the advantage of I, I get why they did it because at the time I was getting emails that say, here, um, send us one paper and we'll publish it in three venues and it can count as a journal paper and and, and a book chapter and a conference and it'll only cost you like $1,000, do you know what I mean? So it was to, to stop people sending out these very dodgy papers and getting them published because... Yeah. It counted three times, so there go up goes your metrics. so I can understand why they did it, but they kind of then swung to the other side of things, which is the only place that you're allowed to publish is blah. And if your research, for me, I work with children and technology and in disability, but they weren't classified as they weren't ranked at that stage as a star, therefore you're not allowed to publish there. Mm. You also weren't allowed to go thing to venues that were or conferences that ran during semester so you had to play this crazy game of trying to publish to places that didn't run during semester in australia because we
0: run exactly i was just going to say that the semester right. cycle is different to other countries every every country has their own semester cycles
1: Cycle absolutely so you uh, couldn't um and yet they had to be ASAR. so what i found was that it really I was very comfortable and was t- writing a particular type of paper, and I was having some success publishing. And then they said, "No, you're not allowed to publish there anymore. You need to publish over here." But um, so
0: they being they being your management, so, so management, management at the higher university level
1: level, and and it was driven. I get that it was driven from politicians saying we want to be able to be accountable and bean count every yeah. aspect of. Uh, you know to make sure that people are working hard which I think is really funny I mean management in universities is an interesting thing um and it's one of my big bugbears is tell me to do amazing research and I will do you know like I'm passionate yeah having a matrix that says you have to submit blah papers per year is not going to motivate me to do amazing research tell me you know do amazing research and and it'll get published because it's amazing and you'll break new ground and you'll help people that's going to inspire me that's yeah. going to make me work hard um where telling me that I have to produce an unreasonable number of things per year is I don't I don't see many people who are motivated by the big stick especially in academia I mean you're in academia because you're like you're a HD student before you arrive. You're not one of the people who are like, oh, I'm not going to do anything and I'm just going to pass. You wouldn't so do
0: nothing. HD I is high distinction. High it? distinction.
1: So so you're, it's, 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 you're 90% students yeah, so yeah. are the ones who go into academia and yeah. if you weren't one of those, you wouldn't go into academia. Yeah. So they're kind of managing people the wrong way around it's, for the yeah. type of people that they have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, and as you said, it, these pressures are coming from government, so it just sort of keeps falling down the food chain in a way. And, what and I'm it,
1: sure, I'm sure at our university, that what they're saying is at at the vice chancellor level, they're saying we need to do amazing research and publish in high quality venues.
0: Yeah.
1: The comment reaches me; it becomes you must publish five high quality papers per year.
0: In these particular venues, in this in these particular way thinking,
1: ve- do you yeah, know what I mean? We, yeah. and you have to guess three years in advance what those venues are going to be because it's a, a looking backwards exercise. So we're not going to tell you how those things are going to be ranked in three years mm. into the future.
0: So have you found it demotivating?
1: I have struggled and but what I've done is I've had two strategies to um, so I went, era t- I went era chasing for a little while in terms of you need to publish, in, and all I got was a whole lot of rejections out of it, mm-hmm. which was very demotivating. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I got really confused about what it was that I was actually meant to be publishing because to get into these high-ranked venues, you need to write a particular type of paper, which is not necessarily the type of paper for the research that I'm conducting. So. So I think, I think I'm the only person in a university who I grant above professor level and I can't get a paper published mm. because what I'm doing has really good social impact. Um, so one of the things that I developed is I, I do sign language teaching using technology.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, sign language learning using technology. So one of the pieces that I created, pieces of software that I created, every child in the whole of Australia every family has a copy of the software. So 100% on the mark for hitting audience, very difficult to get a paper published because it's very applied and it's very difficult to prove learning. Like uh, I realised that um, it's just hard to prove that, like in, you think that this is going to be better. Like everything says this is good but it's very hard to do that evidence-based mm. Um, research to mm. say yeah, about learning because it's so dependent on different people and motivation and skills and IQ and all those other things that can interfere. And it's relatively small populations. And so, you know, it's hard to get a large enough sample to, mm. to prove with evidence that, that this is the thing. So, the strategies that I've used, I, I have actually, this is one of the ones that I'm not sure my bosses want to hear, but what I do is I very much go, I want to do amazing research that's going to have huge impact. Mm-hmm. And if I do really good research, then it should get published. So I've moved across, I've gone from chasing era to going I want to do amazing research that's yeah. going to have ink. Yeah. and if I focus on that, then I should be able to publish where my boss wants me to publish because it's it's groundbreaking, it's different to what people mm-hmm. are doing. And the other strategy I use is I use creativity as a little bit of an antidote for to um perhaps these being counting measures so I do a lot of very creative work and um so at the moment I've been was doing a braille keyboard and and one of the reviewers sort of came back and said you can't do that with this technology and that's like yes you can if you push it (laughs) way out there so do you know what I mean so by actually being creative in pushing Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. I, I find it hard to have a, uh, a lot of people like to have a very big separation between work Mm. and home, where for me, sitting at home and building new circuits in front of the television at night is fine. It's fun. It's fun. So I'm looking at
0: your face light up there talking
1: (laughs) My My children laugh at me because, I mean, I've made it in the world. I get to um, have a job where I get to play with Play-Doh and make stuff (laughs) without having to put up with children. (laughs) (laughs) so I'm using them in a grown-up way but Mm. they're really really creative Mm. but it's in very much a grown-up way and and is doing good in the world you know so I made a puppet for open day and what I wanted it to say is that technology can be the most creative thing that you do you know you can go out to art and design but they're not going to have a a puppet that moves Mm. and you can also do social things and I actually think that some of that gender gap when we're not talking about, you know, creating games for killing things to appeal to males, am I allowed? That's probably a horrible thing to say. But but when we can go, hey, it's super creative and you can have lots of impact and it's, you know, social good, yeah. you actually appeal to a whole lot of different yeah. people.
0: So, I mean, and that's about diversity, different. isn't it? You know, increasing the diversity of people, types of people who uh technology can appeal to or letting a more diverse range of people identify themselves in this space that may predominantly pick up on more women as you said but may also uh, connect to lots of lots of people yeah lots
1: of creative yeah. people yeah. Do you know what I mean yeah. that that these technologies that it's very easier to do creative things mm. with technology yeah. now things yeah. that even five years there, there is this real revolution happening in terms of it becoming quite simple. To do the base level thing, and then you can push it a little bit, and yeah.
0: then it. What was interesting to hear in what you just said was that the moving goalposts, the pressures coming down from on top to achieve all of their their defined performance metrics that can that were sort of crushing in a way and taking away from venues that you wanted to publish in, and and uh, it seemed to remove the joy from what you wanted to do from the way you talked about it. But then the way you've reframed what um, how you can respond to that, and connecting it back to what you actually care about, and letting that be the driver. Absolutely. And and, and working out how to meet the metrics through what you care about and what gives meaning for you in your work. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I am, um, and and it is that re- real reframing. And um, I actually did a session with you around values and. When I look at the values, it makes sense. So excellence, you know, I lo- You know, I want to do excellent things, um, quality, you know, those sorts of things. And um, of course, then it makes sense that um, equity and making a difference in the world are, are things that I value. So if I can do research around those, they're going to motivate me. Where. Being counting, just you know, or or ticking boxes is is very unmotivating. So by reframing and saying, I you know, I want to meet their goals, but I want to do this in a particular way that's more tolerable to me. Mm. It makes sense, and Mm. it and it's a real motivator as opposed to demotivating.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot to a lot. I think we need to rethink in terms of those sorts of metrics and targets and how to connect with people who are already, as you said, highly motivated in their work and how to to, to hook into their own motivation and achieve the outcomes. Are you also benefiting from, I don't know if it's the same Australia, but in many countries, impact is becoming very important. You know, you talked about the goalposts moving. So one of the moving goalposts is now, um, say in the UK, when they have to report on Uh, on their research outputs it's not just the academic publications but also demonstrating some real world societal impact so is that benefiting you as well coincidentally or not so much Australia?
1: australia hasn't got there yet i was really excited listening to the one by janet reed on on the um uh impact i think we're starting to have impact stories and i think that will make a really big difference to the acceptance of my work, my my faculty is also changing, and and that constant change. And actually, I can say really positive about you know there's a whole lot of great things happen, happening in the faculty, and and um, so getting support through those mechanisms as well, and and actually very clearly defined. Here is what you need to do, and by by having clear definition of where we need to target or whatever for one there are ones that are actually more acceptable to me as mm-hmm. well because they've they broaden broadened the scope of what is acceptable so so there's this thing with I, I work in sign language teaching there's five people in the world who work in that yeah um does that mean it's not important no does it mean you're going to get a get A huge citation count. No, do you know what I mean? So, so how do you how do you define quality? And and this, I mean, this is the struggle: is how do you define quality? It's is it a popularity? Is it a? I don't know. You know, is it number of citations? That's popularity, not necessarily quality. So, if you had
0: five citations from the five people working in that area, that's a that's sort of a hundred percent hit. (laughs) Mm,
1: Yeah. you know, so what's popular is not necessarily what's important. Yeah. And, and and in fact, breaking new ground and, and proposing things that have never been done before, it, sometimes that's hard to get published because it is new and it's different yeah. and people aren't necessarily there with you, you know, um, but it doesn't mean that it's not. Unique, important—you know—adding to the body of knowledge. Um, I actually think there's a bit of a problem around. I personally think there's a bit of a problem around the reviewing process, you know, because everyone's kind of overwhelmed by it, and um, there's there's perhaps things being reviewed by junior. People or, and and I'll get rejections on papers, and I'll have three entirely different reasons for rejecting the paper. If you get some consistency, then you're getting a story as to this is where you're going wrong, or this is what you need to improve, or this is the part of the story that you're not telling correctly. Mm -hmm. If you get three different things, then it's hard to is it just the rejection bias because we have to get down to a certain number of papers, not actually that there's a problem with the paper?
0: Yeah. Yes, this is a common story that we hear, I think, about, you know, and the the problem is that it impacts you as an individual in terms of then going back to your department or faculty and trying to argue the case for the quality of your work, especially if other ways that you're making an impact aren't being recognised yet.
1: Do you know the most frustrating thing for me is not actually the rejection on a paper that I think is, that I think has meaning and and is worthwhile it's actually the fact that there's that information is then not actually distributed into the community mm-hmm. and i think that's actually where we're losing out is that perhaps there are papers that could add value to the body of knowledge that aren't making it because they don't fit within this kind of box of what's acceptable yeah. or what so there's imp- important research that's happening that that just isn't making it out there. And I actually think that's a shame, do you know, mm. like a real pity and, mm. and a loss to the community.
0: Yeah. So are you doing anything about that in particular?
1: Yes. I'm absolutely we and and so it's not, oh poor me, it's it's very much, okay, so what what steps can you take in in order to actually get through this? And so I've been using mentors. I have a you know a couple of people who have very much, you know, so um, taking the feedback and and speaking to people about you know what is it that I'm not getting quite right in order to mm-hmm. get this paper accepted because the you know the data is good but obviously I'm not presenting it in such a way that people understand it. I mean there there is when you only have five people who are kind of working in a particular area. I often will get back to me in the sign language area. Why aren't you designing sign language um, material for deaf children and it's like it's not the de- deaf children get 40 hours intervention a week it's the parents of deaf children who don't know sign language or the but almost every review comes back and says why aren't you working with deaf children not the parents of deaf children cuz they're because they're not close enough to the problem to actually yeah. understand what yeah. the real needs are so um but yeah, working with mentors is is I guess my strategy. And I had one paper that I was particularly frustrated by. And I've got to say, everyone that I've approached for help has always been incredibly helpful. And um, yeah, so I've approached people and, and asked them to read, and they really have given me genuine feedback on you know. And it's often around reframing.
0: Yes, yeah. it is. It's it's how to how to play the game in a way, isn't it? But in a in a way that fits with what you've done in your own values and what's important to you and about the work to communicate.
1: Yes, absolutely. Mm.
0: Yep. So you said about still being senior lecturer after 10 years. Do you think that there are issues tied up with this publication around this or is, are you happy with that situation? It's just the way you said it at the beginning that...
1: Uh, um- So in Australia, you're not not known as professor until you make it through lecturer, senior lecturer, associate professor, professor. There's a number of people in Australia who will make it to senior lecturer and never make it beyond that. So you kind of go, there's this quite a big step up in terms Mm -hmm. of leadership and you have to start to be known as kind of the world leader in a particular area in order to make that advancement to associate professor. Um, When I applied for senior lecturer the first time round, it was you haven't got any ARC grants, therefore you can't become senior lecturer. And it's like prior to actually applying, it wasn't necessary to get an ARC grants. You know, it's a ten percent; they're very rare. Yes, they're, you know, if you do yes, if you get one, you very it's about a ten percent success
0: rate, isn't it? And it's a it's a single annual cycle.
1: Cool, and you know they're really hard to get. And so, to get to senior lecturer, you would never have needed one. You know, three years prior, it's like there's these shifting goalposts of you mm-hmm. know you you need to um uh reach these higher. I I I have this hoop hoop theory, which basically goes you need to go and jump through hoops to get to certain levels. But the hoops are getting smaller and higher every year, mm-hmm. so you're kind mm-hmm. of running towards these these you know and you
0: said hoops about are it, getting further away but you also said about it being re- you know you're reporting retrospectively and the hoops of the hoop levels and sizes are changing now but are being applied retrospectively when you didn't know that that's what the hoop was going to be yeah. so you
1: can miss a hoop because you didn't know yeah. that you know they were going to change the size of it or move it off to the
0: left yeah yeah <laughs> but are you do you you sound like you really love your work and enjoy doing it i
1: love my work I, I cannot tell you how much I love my work. I um, I do stuff that I that interests me and I love and I have a whole lot of theories around things in terms of I have a spaceship text, e-textile that I made and why did I make it? I made it to learn about e-textiles and that then goes in my toolbox of things that I can use to make accessible technology or you learn um, the makey-makey is a, a very limited um PCB, but you put it in your toolbox and then you go, oh, actually you can extend it. Do you know? Mm-hmm. And then I've made my braille keyboard with that. And so, but you have to and the laser cutter or the, you know, you learn tech it's not about the technology, it's what we can do with the technology. Yeah. So there's these great technologies that are coming out. So I have a sphero that I put a puppet under, but I can use the sphero to run the puppet around rather than to actually having to to do any other mechanism to get it going. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's not about the technology, it's then how you can apply the technology in different ways. But you have to learn each of those technologies yeah. and then and then when you, because often technologies become a problem, a, a solution looking for a problem. We have this solution. We don't know that we're actually going to apply it to a real world problem where I often come from things. I have these kind of things in my toolbox and then when I see a problem, I can apply a technology to solve
0: it. So that's so that's also talking about choosing to spend time on some work things that don't have an immediate payoff or goal but rather uh building up your repertoire and you never know how you're going to pull those pieces together later on to do something but Absolutely. you value the investment of the time into into that sort of initial exploration. Absolutely. Mm, yeah so what are the biggest challenges for you right now then in your role I'm about to run a maker subject
1: really really looking forward to it we're, we're revamping a particular unit um so there's a little bit of the unknown because we're running something different to what we differently to what we've run it previously that's really exciting for me I'm really looking forward to that I'm, I'm doing some assistive technology our department is growing and they've actually started an assistive technology group so instead of kind of being a little bit on the outer um i actually feel like i have a bit more of a community happening and that's for me that's really exciting it's actually a wonderful thing to to feel like i have a bit more of a place and um challenging things
0: so that's a nice way that the goalposts are changing you know that well the whole environment is. is continually changing uh, having, so change
1: is not always bad yeah. it, it can be fantastic or or negative do you know what i mean yeah. but um there are some fantastic things that are happening you know and um but my my challenge is yeah so a little bit of the unknown i'm taking a web subject which is uh, it doesn't inspire me quite as much as as the maker subject but mm-hmm. you know you have a certain load that you have to do um balancing family i have a, a daughter with a dis- with a disability mm-hmm. so that's always a bit of a challenge in yeah. terms of um The being a mum working full-time with a disabled child, Mm -hmm. you know, she's at home on her own a lot and, you know, should I be staying at home? But then in other ways it's fantastic because I'm modelling working. I have three daughters, so, you know, as a a female who's working, I think that's actually really important to model for my daughters. Um, My mum's sick, you know, like there's a whole lot of and then balancing out time at home versus time at work and and so um, I spend a lot of time I'm, I'm very careful at, about looking after myself so I've always had a horse riding lesson every week um, and I've hurt my hip at the moment <laughs> so I need a certain mm. amount of adrenaline to function <laughs> mm. and at the moment I can't ride so I'm flying um, you know but but that time where everything all those you know problems and everything, go away and you're just there and you have to concentrate in order to survive and that kind of puts the rest of the week in perspective for me
0: so how easy is it to create carve out that time it sounds like it's a high priority it's It's a non-negotiable it's it's a
1: non-negotiable me it's a non-negotiable and I mean it's a non-negotiable that I have this time every week I have flexibility within where that time is so I'm, I, I can move it as long as it happens every week. Mm-hmm. But I'm a much nicer person if I, actually, if I look after myself first. Mm-hmm. I'm a much nicer person and can look after everyone else yeah. and, and and bear uh, a greater burden for the rest of the week because I've, you know, ensured my my footings are strong first. You've topped up. I've topped up, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I need a certain amount of adrenaline to do that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Horse riding, flying, so anything that moves,
1: sailing, sailing. skiing. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah,
1: pretty much anything that moves.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but
1: but they're important to me. Do you know what I mean? They're important in terms of, and it's it's almost like mindfulness. So I, I have a in one of my previous courses, I I did some mindfulness that we brought in for students, which I think is actually a fantastic thing, considering you know the state of of mental health in within society. Yes. But it's almost like my activity is a form of mindfulness. It's where nothing else matters for a couple of hours a week. And that's mm-hmm. actually enough for me that that if I can absolutely solely focus on something that is just for me and, you know, has a bit of adrenaline happening, um, it's like a mindfulness thing. It it resets everything mm-hmm. and it, it, it just makes the world function better.
0: Yeah, that sounds brilliant. <laughs> Um, what other mm. strategies do you have for managing? Because it sounds like you do have a demanding, you know, a challenging home family situation. The creativity, the
1: creativity, you know. So, so generally, looking after myself, um, using creativity to, um, or oh, my children would say, craziness. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> There's a fine line. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I reflect on stuff a lot. I laughed at at. Um, you know people who who were like oh yeah I read books on various things it's like yeah I do that and and so reflecting back on things and and so having a growth mindset mm-hmm. so that instead of like oh I failed on this or oh I you know um having that okay I didn't get there this time and I'm really trying to foster this in my kids is you don't have to be perfect every time what you have to do is go okay what didn't you get right what would you change in everything, in teaching, yeah. you know, that's a fantastic way to teach too because it's like that worked really well, oh, definitely keep that in, oh, that probably needs tweaking a little bit, but but that continuously improving and, and so instead of being um, under pressure by failure as such and, and I mean, that whole maker movement is, is around um, the ability to fail, you know, fail early, fail often, you mm. know, fail, mm. reflect on what you need to do to get there next time Mm. um absolutely
0: so so it's a whole learning mindset you know as you said that that sort of but it's predicated on making some time to step back and do that reflection because you talked about the reflection being that key point is where you step back and say what worked well what didn't work so well what can i do differently next time
1: and I think that's part of the reason that I'm so protective of my time each week because I know I have reflected on the fact that if I have a few weeks where that slips for whatever reason, I actually don't function as well overall. So in reflecting on things, I I have a number of um, rules. You know, if I if I month set, there's certain things that I can do that will assist to restabilize. If I um, yeah, my my mum is very sick. Where and and so um, there's certain strategies that I have in place in order to be able to continue to function mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. you know, with this kind of difficult situation in the background. Which yeah. again, people don't talk about. So I tend to be quite open about things. People don't talk about it. And when I kind of say, "Oh, you know, I'm really struggling with this," there's a whole lot of people who will come and say, oh, yeah, I'm also struggling with that. But it's not an open conversation until people open it up. And I think sometimes we should be opening those conversations. It, it's interesting. I I mean, I read a lot of psychology stuff as well, but that when you walk into a meeting, if people are on their phone, then they're not doing the, hi, how was your weekend? You know, oh, is your kid okay? Or And establishing those really, really important relationships that mean that they're the ones that see you through later. Mm, They're the the people that you can rely on later or or that you can support later. Um, So, I I mean, some of that is around the whole equity thing. I I think, you know, looking – I'm only midway up, but I still try to look after the sessionals below me or the, you know, PhD students below me um, in making sure that they have an equitable – journey through their through
0: their career as well so you're pointing to issues about how we relate to one another and the culture of care and consideration that we have um seeing one another recognizing one another as not just being a role but having a full life and you know it's as you said just sort of saying how is your weekend how's your kid how's your mum so, how do you have those conversations generally? You know, you said about it's important to have those conversations. How do you bring them up, or where do they, where do they? I happen? think it's called overshare, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure that it's always a good thing because
1: you know people have the right to to not participate in those conversations as well. Um, I don't know. I think it's that um, we talk about authenticity. This is part of me, so you don't get same as I don't you know, not do computer things or circuits or whatever at home, um, it's all part of me and and so to be authentic, uh, you know, my work is not completely separate to everything at home. Do you know, yeah, like yeah. it's, I am a whole person. I'm not the person at work and the person at home as two separate beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, so I've been through rounds of retrenchments and I think that I find that particularly hard because um, when colleagues are affected, it has an effect on me. Do you know what I mean? So mm. I've survived rounds of retrenchment, but I think that's um, quite difficult. And I don't think that people at the top, the managers, the necessarily, I don't know if they understand the level of damage that happens. Mm. I, some of the things that are happening at the moment in the faculty are fantastic but i've been through this cycle before you know anyone who's been in academia as long enough has gone through these like oh it incredibly popular and then it it falls away and and we have to peel back all these people and then mm-hmm. the people that you've developed relationships yeah. with and then and then and then we have this another boom and and um i'm not sure that we necessarily manage that process particularly well mm-hmm. and i don't think that there's enough recognition of, of how much damage that does to culture. And that culture, you know, culture is really important in terms of mentoring and supporting other people. If if you're so worried about your job you can't you can't look after other people if you're not securing yourself.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and that includes mentoring. So or, or collegiality or or you know if if Everything comes down to these metrics. Anything that isn't in the metrics, then, can't you know, won't be done because mm. it's not meeting the metrics. Yeah, do you know? What I mean? And and that tends to happen particularly around times where you have retrenchments. Yeah.
0: What would you want leaders, managers to do in these sort of cases? Because they're real impacts, aren't they? They they do that if it if, if you know that retrenchments are coming up it, it or potential there's potential then it does create this sort of sense of you've got to protect yourself and go after the measures that matter and put your efforts into those things so that you can keep your job maybe over someone else um so i, you know, I can so see it's a pe- competitive
1: yeah. environment as opposed yeah. to a collegiate environment yeah, yeah. And I then, the,
0: then those personal relationships that you just don't see that person around the office anymore who is a good mate or a good support, yeah.
1: And I don't know that there is a solution. I, I think there's lots of things in life where there aren't solutions because there's complexity. Oh. Do you know what I mean? I don't think that there's any fantastic way of, of dealing with these things. I, I do think that articulation of, of vision from the top can help. But other than that, I, I don't know the answer. I I know they're devastating mm. um, and I really don't know the solution. And then, you know, there, there's – and I would love to have a podcast in the future mm-hmm. on, on you know, people who've either survived rounds of retrenchments or, or what it is from the manager's perspective. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that for me, often understanding um, – can help me to process. So if I understand why particular actions are taken, then it helps me to process and come to terms with it. So Mm -hmm. it helps me to fit it within my value system. It's like they're not doing this to be mean. They're not doing this because of some evil intent or unethical practice. They're doing it because it is a necessary thing to do. And sometimes by having that articulation of this is the reason. So often being given bad news it's not only about the bad news it's about the way that it's delivered and the way that um so people can kind of even if it's bad news you you can have that bad news together do you know what i mean that that you understand why things yes. have happened and often often the people within the university have no control because it's coming from governments you know so there's there's government policies that come down that affect people and universities are then tasked with implementing them and then, you know, senior management passes it on to, to you know, down the, the tree of command. But I think sometimes if, if we have why particular actions are being taken, it makes more sense.
0: Yeah. So the communication being really key, really important. I, yeah. I do remember hearing a story, I'm trying to think where it was or who told it, about someone who who had to announce a big round of retentionments at a company, not a university, and ended up getting a standing ovation at the end um, because from this report they actually did explain how it was a difficult decision, all the things that they had tried to do to avoid it, all the other sort of strategies, and and then why they finally had to do this. And so people could really see the heart that they brought to those decisions and and the sort of some of the practicalities behind it. And so while it was hard for the individuals, you know, it, it, it actually sounded like um, quite an amazing meeting to have been at, you know, to, to have delivered yeah. such bad news but to have got such a response. But our leaders often aren't trained to be no, leaders absolutely. or to do this sort of very important communication and, and people management. And culture management.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it would be incredibly difficult to do. And and I actually, um, being a female in, in IT, in academia, has some advantages and has some disadvantages, um, as does it. <laughs> um, but I've been participating in a women's women shadowing program. And I elected to actually get involved in that because it, Because I wanted the opportunity to see why some of those decisions were being made, to to actually have access to people who are more senior. So when some of those decisions are being made, see how they're being made, to understand the process a little bit more so that I can take them on board um, with understanding of the thought that goes into them.
0: So who who have you been shadowing or what sort of role have you been shadowing then? So
1: one of the... um, Dean of Education in another faculty
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, that's, that's been really useful. And then there's sessions as well where we can discuss um, some of the things that we see and the strategic things and, and things that are not necessarily directly on the shadowing but the, um, um, the way that things function and that's been
0: really worthwhile doing. So, what would be some of the key insights or learnings that you've got from doing the shadowing and having these sessions?
1: Apparently, there's this thing called managing clever's. It's a book. I, I think it's a Harvard um, review, and um, and I was listening to it, going, "Oh, I'm one of them." <laughs> and it's around managing smart people. It's around managing people who are already motivated and mm. that they don't they don't want to be kind of squashed into doing particular things but given freedom and you'll get more out of them. And that was um, really interesting and and just discussions on the way that, you know, management and decisions are made and I guess understanding a little bit more about the structure of the university and, and things like that, that's been quite useful. Mm.
0: So you, you also talked about how you then work with people that you're leading. And one of the interesting things, I think, is that we're all leaders at every single level. Yes, because there's ways. always
1: people. There's always people who are um, below. I say below in, in yeah, inverted commas. In, be in terms of yeah,
0: yeah,
1: it, whether that be undergraduate, you know, even yeah. the first day you tutor, you are then in a power dynamic where you are above the people that you are tutoring yes. at undergraduate level. Yeah. You know, so there's always these power. Relationship, and it's really funny because I see myself as very easygoing, and hey, if you've got a problem, come speak to me. But of course, this is not the reality of what the students see because I have the ability to fail them or to, do you know what I mean? So my perception of of me being an easygoing person to talk to or whatever is not necessarily other people's perception. And then you can reverse that and say, as I look up the universe, you know, up the hierarchy then I feel, you know, in awe of certain people, do you know what I mean? So there's there's hierarchies that, mm.
0: that so mm. you're always somewhere within the hierarchy. You are, yes. <laughs> and having done done this and sort of reflected on these things and watched people you talked about how you try to pay attention to the people that you're working with. You talked about sessionals and they're they're part-time people or casual lecturers and that aren't they and your PhD students. What are some of the things that you particularly do? How do you play out leadership for yourself in your own own roles?
1: So when I'm working with um, people who are junior to me, I think it's actually really important to be realistic and have uh, like a career plan. So, you know, if I do these things, how can I be strategic in order to get where I want to end up, whether that be in academia or outside academia, but knowing where you're going and, and what skills you need to get there, you know, what's strategic in terms of the things that you need to do. So I know that I grant very well and that I am not so good on papers. So things like getting mentoring around my weaknesses, which is back to that reflection, it's know your strengths, know your weaknesses and make sure you, that you work on the, leave the ones that don't matter to you. And work on the ones that are going to make a strategic difference. So with tutors or sessionals or, or, you know, staff more junior than me, then actually working on the things that, you know, having some sort of plan, knowing where they want to end up and having a plan to get there. And I think that is actually really important for everyone, no matter what level they're at, you know. um, And there's certain paths that you can take through academia. I'm teaching and research, so... um, I would love to be t- research full time at least for a while um, but most of the research stuff within my institution they're on 3 year contracts so there's certain pressures and and there's a real downside to not having you know necessarily permanent employment so I have this it's going to take me longer to get there because you know, when I'm conducting research, I have to do it around my, te- you know, teaching semester and those sorts of things. But I know that actually, I've run in in the Auslan teaching stuff. I've so Australian sign language. Sorry, um, you know, I have. You know, I've run it on, um, you know, for children on a Nintendo, um, on an iPad. Connect. Do you know what I mean? So I've run six or seven. You know. S- because I'm around for the long term you can yeah. you can do more sophisticated things into and and start from a base of not knowing anything and and chip away at all all the different questions because often when you do research you have a question that you start and you think you're going to answer and all you do is generate a whole lot more questions yes,
0: yes. but it's tough for people who are on short-term contracts as you said because they don't have that longer-term perspective and they they're, they're they're hoops that they have to jump through. You know, there's a the, the shorter time horizon and the uncertainty at the other end of that hoop. You've got a different sort of uncertainty because it's a continually changing environment and you, you don't know where the hoops are going to go, move to, but you know that there will be hoops. Whereas for three-year contract people, it's will I get the chance to aim for another hoop after this? That's tough.
1: If you're on a three-year contract, can you take on a PhD student? Because if a PhD takes three years, will you still be there at the end of their do you know what I mean? There's those continuity mm-hmm. issues. And look, I, I think that's a real concern. And I think that some of the, you know, the brightest people around are on three-year contracts. Having said that, I'm coming from a from a position of having been in the same place for a long time. And I, I think there is two ways of moving through academia. There's the people who I'm from Melbourne, my family's in Melbourne. You know, and and so I have very deep roots here. Mm. And then there's other people who, and it's often, it's not about women so much as family. Once you have a family, it becomes much more difficult to move, I think. Um, but there are people who, you know, move around because that works for them. I mean, in a different life, I would happily have, have you know, moved to, you know, not had the family moved from place to place and had mm. these wonderful experiences in different places around the world. But it's a different journey.
0: Yes. So they're, again, coming back to your choices and trade-offs and, yeah. But Complexity. Everything is so complex. It is complex. But I I like the way that you talked about having conversations with people that you are in a position to influence or or talk to or mentor about being realistic.
1: Yes. And I think the the landscape that, that junior academics are facing now is different to, you know, 15 20 years ago you could get into academia with without a phd and get your phd while you were while you were you know teaching um now you need you not only need a phd you need a phd and grants and a dozen papers
0: and a nobel you know, prize
1: <laughs> pretty much just to get into the base level of academia i mean the, the landscape has changed yeah um, and i and i think it's I think that's fine if people want to
0: participate in that, as long as they know what they're participating in. Yeah. yeah. I was just, can I pick, go back again to just pick up on talking about, you know, having a daughter, having three daughters, and a daughter who's disabled, and a mother who's very sick. Is there any more that you want to be saying around that? Because that 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 sounds like there's that's a huge set of things to be dealing with on top of full-time work and I, i'm
1: actually i should clarify I'm actually 0. 0.8 <laughs> so four can, days a week
0: so can you actually get to work 0.8 because often 0. 0.8 means you get paid 0. 0.8 but you work 1.2 uh
1: but this is the so the reality of my life is uh my kids are at all an alternative school which is fantastic and it's such a wonderful school but it means that I drop them off and pick them up and then go home and, and do kid things for a few hours and then work every evening. But that works for me. I'm mm-hmm. I'm complete because of that, because I'm inspired by what I'm doing, I don't mind doing it at home. So it's not a burden to do this. Yeah. It's, it's a joy. And it's a choice, so that's
0: your choice. It's a choice. Mm-hmm. It's my choice. It's it absolutely my choice. Yes.
1: It works for me, absolutely. So I have three teenage daughters, so everyone should feel sorry for me instantly. (laughs) (laughs) I I am proof that you cannot plan children. So I had um, one daughter and I planned my second child to be born two weeks after the end of semester because that would have been very convenient. I then found out I was having twins and they said, you'll be finishing work at 28 weeks. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I did not plan that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I have three teenage daughters um, and I have always struggled going to conferences because I have a a child with a disability and some of it is the unpredictability. So She's 18, she should be old enough that I can go away and it not be a problem. But the problem is actually predicting six, when I put that paper in, what space will she be in in six months' time? And so... You know, if I I had the opportunity to go, you know, pop up to Sydney for a few days, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that worked fine because I booked it two weeks in advance, knew the state that everyone was in, and, you know, mum was hanging in there and that was fine. But it's this, you know, you you put things in six or eight months in advance, who knows what the world will look like with Mm -hmm. a family that far in advance. Um, One of the things that I, um, oh, what do they call it, the um, relative to, Okay, so they have often on grants and things like that. They have um, relative to opportunity. I'm, I consider myself reasonably good at writing um, those statements in terms of relative to opportunity. It's not a whinge. It's more around this is a this is the reality of my life. So you know it'll be. I have a child with a disability. This means that it's difficult to go to conferences. You know, so that's the impact that it has and therefore I might write journal papers but they take longer to get published. Yes. So it makes a difference to what my track record looks like but not necessarily the quality of work or anything else. It's just so it's very much a statement of not a whinge, you know, I chose to have children, I chose. do you know what I mean? But it's um, around stating the facts of, you know, because of this, this is the reality of the situation. Yeah. and is where the impact is so when you read my track record and actually if you do the maths that you know I'm actually 0.8 not full-time so I'm four days a week and um, teaching and research I still publish at quite a reasonable rate given the circumstances that I'm in like I've never not met the criteria for a full-time academic even though I'm part-time do you know what I mean so but I think it is I think those relative to Opportunity statements
0: are important, indeed, and being bold in being bold in making them. Yes, you know, being clear for being if,
1: yeah, yeah, and and being authentic of this is the impact. You know, yeah.
0: not yeah, yeah, because it plays out in all sorts of ways, and I think that's really brilliant to to be able to. Uh, Recognize what those trade offs have been, or what the impacts have been, and but helping other people interpret it. I think we all often need statements in our CVs, or if we're applying for jobs or promotions, that help people interpret what they're reading. Absolutely. Mm, Yeah. So I'm just looking at the time. Is there anything that we that you would really like to cover that we haven't really covered?
1: Um, The only thing that I'd like to add, so I have my daughter has um, uh, Asperger's and anxiety Mm -hmm. and I actually think we have clusters. So my husband's an engineer and I'm in IT and the number of people that I meet who have a similar story in terms of having um, children with Asperger's or or autism spectrum as Mm -hmm. it's now named. My daughter says you take people who can't cope with change and you change the name of their diagnosis. (laughs) Um, But I wonder if there's things that we could do as organisations to actually support people with children um, where there are clusters and and even if that's having a coffee, you know, once a month or once every three months and going, hey, this is the reality of my world at the moment. And people who are further down the journey going, you will survive it. Mm. So I often we'll have these conversations, which is you will get to the other side of this and you only have to, you know, you have to survive today and, and be safe and happy today and you will get to the other side of the journey because I feel a little bit perhaps further further on, on a good day and on a bad day, <laughs> like it's never going to end. And Do you know what I mean? But I wonder if, because I think there are clusters and I think that um, when, when you start to open up these conversations, it, mm. it can actually be useful for for people
0: so just the the same just sharing strategies during the reassurance absolutely
1: and most people don't want to be told what a bad job they're doing they're dealing with incredibly bad situations sometimes or difficult situations Mm -hmm. and most people just need to know that the fact that you care and you're trying will be enough because you can only do what you can do Mm -hmm. and and so if you care and and you're doing whatever you can because I think my biggest fear is that, you know, my daughter's anxiety is all my fault because I haven't parented her correctly. And sometimes, you know what, it's not. It's, it's just it is the way it is.
0: Mm. Yeah. Are there Facebook groups where people, you know, because there's, there's the academic women Facebook group and, you know, are there different forums where people that they, have started think- to reach out?
1: I don't
0: do Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Probably very sensible. Yeah. I don't
1: do Facebook. I don't do. Yeah. Who has time for Facebook? Yeah. Or, or, so, or but, any of those things.
0: But you're you're talking about just even in your own local context in what you were saying before about just being real about you know this is this is my whole life you know that I you know, I bring my life to work in a way and and,
1: and, and you and, shouldn't bring your life to work. There, there is this kind of but actually when. But so
0: you, are you, that life person, you are that person who has this life, you
1: know. <laughs> Absolutely. And it inspires some of my best research too. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So, yeah. so it's not all uh, negative. It's, yeah. it's quite positive. But I, I don't think that, and I think there's a whole lot of research around that basically says that um, there is nothing like the face-to-face in terms of, I don't think that Facebook can necessarily play the same role as people that you have real authentic mm-hmm. connections with.
0: So it's about authenticity. You've used that word a few times in the conversation. So it's about the authenticity of connections. It's about being real, about your own situation, connecting with other people who are also given permission by you being authentic to to say their situation and to support one another. Absolutely. Mm. That sounds like a lovely point to stop on. So thank you very much for your time because it's been great chatting. Thank you you can find the summary notes and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes and now also on Stitcher. And you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues so that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently.